Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Survivors Podcast. We have a very special show for you today. Um, I'm here joined with my co-host, Juliana, and I actually have a special, special guest, my little sister, Lauren. Hi, everybody. Uh, she's just kind of sitting in, and she's probably going to pop in and ask. She has lots of questions that I have no answers to, so we're going to have her ask questions if necessary. Uh, we have a very special guest. I'm not even going to say anything. Let's just go ahead. You can introduce yourself. My name is Brielle Decker. I am the 65th ex-wife of Warren Jess. I fight against religious childhood exploitation. And if mainly my focus right now is with FLDS, pedophilia, because of my experiences and my past. Of what I know, that's what I know the most. Right, of what because what you grew up in. Okay, let's do something different for this episode. Let's go ahead and just go straight into the amazing story of you escaping and leaving. So I I was in a room, a small room. It was actually in a trailer. And I remember searching the room for something like solutions because my brother had already turned the doorknob around so the lock was in the hallway and I was watching him put screws in the window so two screws he put one on one side one on the other side so that I couldn't pull up the window and he told me to just lay down and read and I was like I'm not gonna be doing that (laughs) but I didn't want him to know that so I just waited till he left it was broad daylight I knew that if I um, didn't wait until he left for to work. Then he would just come in and put screws all up the window once he realized that I was going to try to fight and try to escape. I had tried many times and been picked up on the road. And um, so I just wasn't willing to give up. I didn't want to be a prisoner. Um, I didn't feel safe. I felt really scared. I I just was waiting for him to leave and then I heard his truck uh, start and he drove away and I went right for the scissors that I had noticed and I started to unscrew one of the screws and it worked one of the screws came completely out and the other screw wasn't all the way in but it wouldn't come out it was like jammed and it wouldn't that's probably the reason why it wasn't all the way in because it was so tight so I decided that I was going to pound on it. His wife was home and his children, but I knew that this was going to be my only opportunity. So I just found some things and I started to pound on the, on the screw and it started to bend. And, um, she came in and took everything I was using and I would just find more stuff, you know, like glue, glue, gun, you know, like different things, anything that was kind of had a little bit of weight behind it. And I would um, just pound on it, and then eventually it did snap. And I heard her gasp, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to open any drawers or anything, because that would flag her. If I, She might think I laid down and started to read if I just climb out. So I didn't have any ID or anything. I didn't even realize I needed my ID at this, at this stage in my life. But I didn't open any drawers. I just She didn't realize I had already got one screw undone. She thought I had another one to do. So I climbed out and I exited the yard and I decided to take back roads because I had been called 
um, by people in the community who had seen me on the roads. And I didn't want to be called. You know, I, I needed to really take back roads. So I, I followed a different path than I usually did. And it took me about two miles to get to the house that I was trying to get to because of the route I took. But I did make it. But the actually the yard right before I got to their house, I ran through a yard and there was a lady sitting outside that was um, dressed like people out in the outside world. So I knew she wasn't somebody from the FLES. And I, she asked me if she could help. And I said, yes, I'm trying to get up to this house over here. So she drove me to that house. And the family I was running to had left recently. And that's where, why I knew where they lived. And, and I knew their whole family left together. I mean, everybody that wasn't married already, most of their family left together. And so I, I went to their house. And the lady that came with me, that drove me up there, She's the one that knew the organizations on the outside. The family I was running to had too recently been out. So um, she did call the organizations, and the family that I ran to, was they knew me pretty well, and they were like, just stay, you know, like, we have this under control. We can handle this. We know your family. And I was like, no. <laughs> you don't know what you're facing. You don't really understand what's going on. And so... Um, it took them all day to decide to drive me halfway to meet an activist outside of the town. And so I met the, the first activist, and she drove me to her house that was in another t a, a closer town, like um, New Harmony. Um, so by the end of the day, I was outside of the town. The next morning, the police officers, who are cult members, so even if I had a a phone. I couldn't really call 911. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a car, you know, when I was doing all this. And um, so they took a picture of me door to door asking for me because they didn't know if I disappeared, you know, like they didn't know what happened to me. Eventually they tracked it to the house that I was at, but they, they had a phone number and they just called and they found out that, that I was safe because the activist told them I was safe and okay. And she was really upset because um, she had already told some people and she thought that they were trying to get to me. And she, um, she called the chief of police in St. George and who was over the police officer that tracked her that far. And he, I think that police officer got fired for doing that. Really? Yeah. Mm. It was a it was really scary for me cuz I didn't want to stay at that house anymore. So I I ended up in a domestic violence shelter in Salt Lake area and um there was another activist in this area that was now kind of taken over because it was this way in Salt Lake area. She called me one day and she told me, "We're going to have you sign some paperwork to get your ID." You need your ID. She talked about ID. And we're going to have you do a credit card in your name and things like that to pay for it. And I was like, okay. I didn't understand any of that. But then she showed up at the shelter with my ID. And I didn't sign anything. 
And I said, how did you get this? Like, I didn't sign anything. And she says, oh, well, we just went to your parents. And it really freaked me out. Like, I had a mental breakdown and ended up in the hospital. I, And then while I was at the hospital, my biological mother sent a note to me that said she cares. And it was, she didn't have my alias. So you have to have an alias to, to really talk to the person. But she left a note that had my birth name on it, which was Lynette Warner at the time, and said she cares. And I was like, how does she know what hospital I'm at, I'm at and that I'm even in the hospital? And so I knew that there was somebody um, secretly leaking information. And so I demanded, I kind of demanded if there's any way to go to the Y, which is a domestic violence shelter that's more secure. And um, they didn't want me because they... Um, they don't want people that their abusers know where they are because it's not safe for everybody. So they didn't really want me to be there. And I, the activists talked them into letting me come, showing them a, an airplane ticket that I had only one week. So the hospital wanted me to leave. I had one week before I was supposed to fly out to Minnesota to a lady that was going to take me in. I, so I got into the shelter and then I went to my case manager and I showed her all the things that, like I'd call the lady that was going to take me in, in Minnesota. And she said, call me back in five minutes. And then she wouldn't answer. And I showed my case manager. I told her about the call that my biological mother and everything. And she's like, you need to drop all the organizations helping you and I'm going to help you find some more. And she researched and she found three other ones. And, um, the day after the plane ride was the day that my we, we, she helped me find another domestic violence shelter to go to because I only had one week at that one. She was driving me to the next shelter. And it was the day after I was supposed to be gone. It was a Monday morning. She was going to take me. She came into my room and she's like, um, I just want you to know that you can come down to this meeting that we're having down here. It's the old activist that realized you didn't fly out. And they want to talk to you if there's any way. So we decided that we would go in and just see what they were about. So we went down there and talked to them. And they said, we know you're mad at us because we went behind your back and went to your parents and got your ID. But we want you to know they're here in town. And and I was, we just kind of looked at each other, me and my uh case manager and decided to tell them that we went to a homeless shelter that we were going to a homeless shelter which puts you out during the day but we didn't want them to think we were going to a domestic violence shelter so after they left we secretly left and went to a domestic violence shelter two days later we got a call from the Y saying they had been there they were demanding me they'd been searching all the roads so I had to ride the bus because I don't have a car or anything so I was telling the, the new activists that were helping me, all this information. So at this time, I was 26 years old. I just was, they wanted to say I was crazy because there was cult doctors that had drugged me. So I, I had never signed over my rights, but it was, you had to really be in tune with the details. People need education on these things because a lot of people just don't get it. So I... I eventually, one of the activists drove me to Colorado. I flew from that airport to Tennessee, 
and stayed there for two years, changed my name legally, changed my um, social security with help. But one interesting thing was after I was there for a little bit, one of the activists helping me that I trusted told me that the first activist that helped me was crying every day and she didn't have anything to do with it. She was trying to defend me the whole time and she was really worried about me and wanted to reconnect. And I made a choice to forgive. And I chose to forgive because um, I it was a risk, but she didn't really do anything. So it was kind of like, you know, I just chose that that's a big thing to me to allow room for improvement. It's really hard to tell when somebody's, you know, traumatized like I was to know. But I felt good about this activist, so I called her up, and we talked every day after that. And after, like, three months later, I actually asked her to adopt me. Oh. And she did. The, her and her husband legally adopted me. So her she's Kristen Decker. Um, so I took their last name. So that's why my name is Brielle Decker now. Gotcha. And um, I think that's really important, especially being an activist, how hard I realize now more and more how easy it is. And I don't think there's enough forgiveness for activists a lot of times because they're just, I feel like there needs to be more of that. I'm creating this bridge, you know, with activists in my mind. I have this picture of different kinds of activists and their stands. And I know a lot of these and I feel like it's important to touch on that because they, um, don't, they do a lot of good. And if you dwell on the good in anybody and give room for improvement and then when we go in to rescue these kids, we can have more tools. We can have the support of more if uh, eventually most of the stories a lot of times come out. And so it's not like you want to be in a bad position anyway. It's just you want to be in a position where you're actually making a difference. And I think a big part of that is leaving room for improvement as much as you can. Right. It's hard. It's hard for somebody that has the keys to somebody's life, you know, but you, you, you just have to try your hardest to leave some room for improvement because I don't think I'm going to be perfect. And I know I'm not going to be so, <laughs> and I, I've always tried to do that. I've never, even the ones that hurt me, I feel like, that I they're not out of their positions. You know, I didn't pursue that route. I was asked to many times by different people, and I, I just didn't feel good about it, and now I f know why. So then on this, yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. Um, let's get into some other stuff real quick. You were mentioning um, in your story of when you were leaving uh, of being drugged. Can yes. we get into that a little bit? Yes. I, um, I was in... Um, South Dakota at the time when they first decided to drug me. Is that R23? Yeah, R23. They decided to um, drug me because I was, I had been harassed for years, like solid years. And it was getting to where I had been gaslighted so bad that I couldn't always tell what was the right way or what wasn't. And another thing was is I could tell when they were obviously being rude. 
but I couldn't always tell which direction to take in those closed settings. And there was a gate around the compound with a guard tower, and there was no exit. I had to work my way out by taking the clues that I did have and reaching a conclusion each time that led me eventually back to Colorado City. Yeah, so let's explain the R23. I, I got a lot of eye rolls in this just in this room. That's what that's the South Dakota compound that Warren just had had made where what does he do? Why do people end up there? R23 is like a refuge 23. It's what the R stands for. People um, used to end up in Texas more often the YFC ranch more often than R23. But Ever since Texas took over the compound there, calling it a criminal organization, they didn't want them in Texas, then it kind of shifted to South Dakota. What kind of drugs did they give you? They gave me Seroquel, 800, really, really strong. Told me that I would never sleep naturally again without it. This was a sleeping drug. Um, Even giving people things like that can make them, it, it does hurt them. Like, so the thing is, is now I don't take near that high of a drug. Like I am on like Abilify, but it's, it's not just because, yeah, there's lots of details into the medical. Like if you, if you've been traumatized, so I, I, with trauma comes some repercussions and I'm going to have to deal with those probably. Right forever but they are getting better is there a reason that you you were you were personally sent to south dakota um it was part of the harassing cycle they first had me in texas where it started where i started to get bullied and then i went to um a house in hiding and then they sent me to south dakota i don't know well warren jeff's kind of directs where everybody lives even the children even everybody so that's a big deal to me because he's a proven criminal and yet he tells all these kids and which parents are worthy to live with these kids. That's a really big deal to me. I, I don't like that at all. Were you with your parents at with each of those moves? Did you guys stay together the whole time? No. She I was, was You were married. probably married. I didn't stay with my parents. Yeah, I was married. So Can we get into the marriage part? Yeah. Let's go ahead. So at 18 is when I got married. Um, my father was a big factor in that. At that stage in our growth of our church, the fathers had a little more say. Um, he didn't like underage marriage. So he didn't turn me in until I was 18. I don't know if you've covered what turn me in means in anything else. but Go ahead. Turn me in is like writing a letter to the leader saying, that he recommends my daughter for marriage and says that she's ready. I've had people say they don't understand what that term is. Yeah. So we had appointed marriages. It was, we couldn't even think about a boy or date or anything like that. So let me ask this. You were 18. How old was Warren? Warren was in his 50s. I don't know exactly. Okay. Which how much time did you spend so. with him total in your marriage? I probably spent the least time with him of any of his wives. Um, I resisted a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, I would hear them talk about how they went and saw him in prison and how they were so excited and (laughs) hear him tell stories about this day or that day. And uh, they were always reaching because he, he kind of required people 
to reach for perfection and he was the ultimate but I didn't believe very like I started questioning when I was like 21 so I was 18 and I was really studying and studying and studying and then 21 I kind of figured out that it was kind of overboard like it wasn't so I started to fight from that point on he went to prison about when I was 21 Okay, and so you were married for three years before he was sentenced because he had been in prison so many different times, was that right? Well, that's just when he first got first. caught. Okay. Um, yeah. Did you have any children with him? No, I, and I didn't have any. Are you grateful for that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, oh. Yeah, that would have been a bit, like even thinking about the day that I um, escaped, like if I had kids, I probably wouldn't have escaped. It would be so much mm-hmm. harder. It is. I couldn't have probably got through all those loops. Yeah. And you're married now. Yeah, yes. I'm remarried. I'm remarried. Yeah. So um, you don't have any issues with, like, the idea of marriage? Like, that didn't traumatize you at all? No, because I never expected anything in, in, our, in Warren Jess' family. Okay. When I went into the marriage, I didn't expect anything. Like, I kind of de- determined I was a concubine before I ever joined the family. Okay. So it didn't really hurt me in that way. Like polygamy, I don't even understand very much of the the things, the stories people tell about polygamy. I don't resonate with them because I, even though I was a, a wife, a number, I, I wasn't planning on it ever being anything. So it didn't really affect me. I was like, oh, okay, go do what you're going to do. You know, like I don't care. Yeah, so here's another question then is, um, when you were, I mean, did you ever have an inkling that, that Warren was singling you out for marriage? Yeah, that was when I was younger in school and things. He would practice reverse psychology on me a lot. Let's get into that. Yeah, he would. So one of the main things that he would do is he would call on all of my sisters and brothers, like a lot of them, like four or five of them in a, in a training like he would ask them to come up and talk and then he would always skip me and then when I'd go through the line he would he'd say all their names and then when he'd get to me he'd stop and he'd say so what is your name every single time Mm. and he'd do that with my class too he'd say all the names of my whole class and then he'd always stop at me and just look in my eyes and say so what is your name (laughs) like every single time and I I after there was one time when I turned 14 that I went and stayed with my older sister who also was married into the Jeffs family. Like it was Warren's father and then eventually she married Warren. Yeah, so Warren, let me just quickly explain. After his father, Rulon, died, um, like two weeks or something, I can't remember, it was two weeks or two months, he started taking his stepmothers as his wives. Yes. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. Well, one of my sisters was Rulin's wife, so she married Warren after that. But I went and stayed at Rulin's house when I was 14, when she was married to Rulin. And after that experience, I would go through the line and um, Warren would start to say my name every time. (laughs) I'm like, and that's when Warren's family recognized that I was going to join the family. Like many of them after I went into the family said, Oh, we knew you were going to wear that when you came that time. When you really? were 14. We knew that you were going to be in, uh, in this family. <coughs> so young. 
My sister didn't know that, but mm-hmm. some some of them have told me that. So, so can you tell us a little bit about being turned in, being told you're going to marry Warren? How are your feelings? And then the ceremony. Yeah. Um, so my father um, told came in and told me that we were going to go on a drive. And so my mother didn't get invited to the wedding. And I didn't have my wedding dress on or anything. It was a secret marriage because Warren Jess was already running from the law. What year was this? Can I? Did we talk about that? I don't remember dates very well. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering, cause I know the dates of like when he was taken in and stuff, but, um, when you got married, was it at that hotel that they always are talking about? No, it was at his brother Leroy's house. Okay. So he took me over there. Well, my father drove me over there and he told me on the drive that he had turned me in that very morning. So, so you had no chance to even process what was happening. No, and I, I didn't know anything about marriage, so I, I didn't even know what I was submitting to. Right, And right. then I went in and was started to be drilled. Like, I had heard the trainings on, basically the trainings were, like, how wives were supposed to be submissive and obedient and do whatever they're asked to do and be the kind of like the servant. But um, I had heard that kind of training. I didn't know anything about anatomy and you know, the process with sex or right. whatever. Like, well, I don't know anything about you that. You guys don't talk about it. It's not talk- to be talked about. No libraries, so no this is movies. When, this is when marriage and things like that were still allowed. Yes? Well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> because Ju- Juliana nodded at me. Yeah. Um, yeah. At, um, I think the thing that he knows what he's doing in, and one of the things is the isolation key of no outside world, no... It's no library, so you're not supposed to know anything. But but then that makes me wonder, like, then how are you supposed to know? <laughs> like, if you don't know, like, you're just supposed to what? You're not Be supposed to know. You're you're taught. That's just awkward. Well, well, the thing is, is yeah, <laughs> they don't know. A lot of them don't know. There's a lot of things awkward about being a man's 65th wife. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I the ceremony. So when I got in there, he started to drill me on the doctrine, and kind of made me like he kind of pinpointed me to to give it to to say he he said do you have any revelations from god basically to who you think you're supposed to marry wait warren is asking this or your dad warren asked me this well okay (laughs) and he taught us in the trainings that if you lie to god then you have a repercussion and if you and if you um say no to you know there's a repercussion and and if and so I knew all of the repercussions, basically. And I and in my mind, I had, like, that was my worst nightmare, is that he would ask me that question. Because a lot of times he doesn't. Some mm-hmm. rounds are that, and he taught in the trainings, that he, sometimes he'll just tell you and stuff like that. And I'm like, I hope he just tells me, but I knew he wasn't getting you. Mm-hmm. Because he'd practiced reverse psychology so much right. on me that I just had nightmares about it and everything. When I went in there, that was the first thing he said. Uh. So I kind of was like, well, I have a choice right now, a little bit. Do I want this repercussion or this one? Right. And because I didn't know what I was submitting to, I I said, well, maybe I'm supposed to just go into the family with my sister Mm. because I thought that the community would like me. Otherwise, everybody probably would have shunned me Mm. in the whole community because 
the story would have got around. Right, right. So I just went into the family. Well, I, I, um, the ceremony was really short. Um, my father was there and his two brothers, Warren's two brothers, one of his brothers did the ceremony. And he just basically um, recited some words that he says in everybody's. Right. And there was a kiss. And that was the end. So. And everybody went out. And except for Warren had me stay in there. And he tried to get close to me. And I resisted. Like I went like in shock. Like real shock. Like you I, you couldn't. Like you blacked out or something kinda, like that? I didn't faint. But I, I just was so gone. Yeah. That eventually he just called my father back in. He was like, she's not <laughs> responding. She's not answering. <laughs> And so he called my father back in and told my told my father to take me back home. But I wasn't expecting anything. Like I didn't even know that was weird. So you weren't expecting to you had no expectation of even to go home with Warren that night. You had no idea. Mm-mm. That's interesting to me. Um with the community that they're so quiet and they're so um secretive, but like you were saying the story of you saying maybe having a different repercussion that would get out. So there's two to, for me, there's two lines of, they don't say certain things, but they'll, they'll, they'll spread rumors type of thing. Does that make sense? They, they talk probably too much. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's okay. I, I'm used to it. So I'm kind of like, it's just how I was raised. But so I try to say the best story. I try to make it round it to be my story and the best story that I can you know, sometimes you get cornered, but you just try to do the best thing. So I went to, I went home and I started to, like my family, I already, I could connect with them pretty fast, you know, like on a level of, of just conversation and stuff. But I didn't, I couldn't tell them anything that happened. Cause you're not supposed to, or you just didn't want to. Well, he asked us not to. Warren okay. just said there you go. he's in hiding and, and nobody, everybody will be after her. The outside world will want to kill her and all this stuff if they find out. So I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. To, that you got married? Right. Or, okay, okay. So a lot of this story is in those first two chapters. Okay, but cool. yeah, there's probably more detail. But yeah, it was... Um, it was really foggy for me like because I was I was just basically trying to figure out what I was supposed to be doing and I remember after I met him again after like two weeks he sent me to Texas to the YFZ ranch yeah to the YFZ ranch it was brand new and there was just trailers and stuff um after I met him again I remember he started to drill me on why he sent me home that night. And it was kind of like a punishment to me. He kept saying, I'm sorry I sent you home. And I was just sitting there going, I didn't know that was weird. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and like, I kind of expected that. Like, I didn't know that was weird yeah. at all. Like, <laughs> so um, that's what flagged him, that I was different. Because that's what made him think something's weird. Because I didn't act like I was, I didn't act normal. Mm-hmm. I didn't act like I was devastated or that I 
but he wanted but that's what he wanted he wants a big reaction right yeah he wants somebody to care but i didn't care like i i I literally like oh really (laughs) good for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that gets hard how many times do you get what is born like do you get asked that a lot um i have got asked to probably more than i even i always say the same thing he's really mean he's mean he's very mean he's he's he likes pain and suffering and taking away people's hopes slowly. Yeah. He enjoys watching them suffer. So, For a man who is not worldly well-educated, he's very well-educated. Does that make sense? Whereas the fact that he knows what to do to get people to react a certain way. Yeah. yeah and he always says it was something they did that you cause this reaction but in reality he will bully you like he sent people to bully me for three years and i knew that that there was no there was really whatever reaction he was expecting i don't know what he was expecting really but i didn't care anymore and i was like maybe that's what he wants but i don't care so do you have ever like any stories of him like you say he's mean. So was there any like descriptive stories of you of him just being like like where you were scared of him? Well, he corrects just about every time he talks to you in person. In his trainings, in his doctrine, he he emphasizes love a lot. So a lot of people think he is love because they've never met him in real life. But he isn't love. He is very mean. Almost every time he directly talks to you, it's a correction. What do you mean by correction? Like telling you you did this wrong? Yeah. Okay. You, you, you talk too fast. You talk slurred. What? You, you, you don't have the right dress on. Like Ugh, he, everything, yeah. Every little detail. And he thinks he's doing everything right. But we're like, I, I always thought, you know, I'm barely married and you're telling me all these corrections. <laughs> And I thought it was supposed to be persuasion through love, and I just don't even feel that. Yeah. And I told him once that <gasps> I didn't think that Uh-oh. in a letter. I told him, well, I don't believe that I can make it without love. Yeah. Like, what is the pro- point if there's no mercy? Right. And Well, he if he says that he's the mouthpiece of God and he's like all these kinds of things, isn't God love a loving being and isn't God... I believe it was. Yes. I still believe God is loving and forgiving. So why, where does Warren get off with the fact that if he's the mouthpiece of God, how can he be so cruel? You know what I mean? He says that correction is love. He's correcting you so that you will change to be in love. And I'm just like, no, like you have to have persuasion through love is not start out with correction. So he told me that, um, Maybe I could earn love. Like, you don't demand it. Like, if you earn it, I'm like, maybe I'll try to earn it. But I tried and it doesn't work. <laughs> There's He doesn't give love. He he was telling you that you needed to earn his love? Yeah. Oh. You need to earn it. You don't demand love. So he kept saying, bringing it back to something's wrong with me. And I'm like, uh, no. Like, there's big flags that there's something wrong with you. Like, I barely came into this family and you're already treating me like I must have done something wrong and that's the reason why I went in shock like you know have you talked to any of his other ex-wives that have left and do you guys have similar stories um 
I've talked to one of them. Okay. I have a question. And she she oh. does, yeah. Um, have you tried to talk to like a government ag- agency about like the lies and the and like the dangers of the FLDS and like tell yeah. them like this is where they are, this is what they're doing? Yeah, the activist that um was in Salt Lake when I went to that domestic violence shelter. That activist actually um I asked for a lawyer because that's what we're tra- trained to ask for as a lawyer. <laughs> And um, she sent me to the Department of Justice. Okay. And they actually flew from Washington or whatever. Really? DC and came in to Utah and talked to me. And I kind of lied a little bit because I wasn't ready. Well, and you're taught to lie, right? Well, kind of. Yeah, white lies. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I wasn't ready. I, I was just like, I don't know what to say to you guys. Like, I, I want a lawyer. I don't want Department of Justice. Like, mm. that's not what I asked mm-hmm. for. What what did they tell you if someone were to ask you if you knew where Warren was? What were what were you supposed to say to Wasn't them? Wasn't he already in prison? Well, if if they asked me where Warren was, I was just supposed to say I don't know. Like mom is the word, like, you know, why would we tell you that? Yeah. Okay. Basically, but he was in prison when I left. Okay. So, it wasn't that big of a deal to me cuz, you know, but it was just about my experience. Have you been abused? Have you, you know, I'm like, I am so recently out and I don't have a support system. If I go into all of that abuse right now, then it will just be more verification that I might be crazy. Like I have to have a support system of people that see that I'm okay before I can even say anything about the abuse. And so I just kind of evaded the questions. It's not like I just wanted to lie. It's just, I just kind of evaded all the questions. So then I did talk to Utah people, um, some of the state people, um, later on. And so they have it on record. But. So let's get back real quick because we didn't touch as much as I wanted to on the, on, the, on the drug situation, you being locked up and them calling you crazy. Can we start from the beginning of who called you crazy, who put you where, and stuff like that? Oh, that's, that's the code. That's really, really hard to go into. Like, I have to think it through how to how to explain that because okay. it's really, really complicated, especially with the gaslighting. Okay. So basically, um, they would follow me and sit by me every meal, sit by me every training, the same group of people. And they were gaslighting me and teaching me things that were secret. Oh, okay. So what's so, yeah. gaslighting? Gaslighting is when they get you to question your own sanity. They try to tell you, you didn't do that. You, that didn't happen. Really? They would do something to you, and then you'd say, why did you do that? And they'd say, it didn't ever happen. <laughs> oh, man. And they'd so do that does that still, does that still kind of toy with you in your mind where no. you think of the past? You, you, oh, they, oh, when I think of... When you think of the past, past is some of the stuff like kind of blurred in your mind because of the things that they said to you? Well, basically what it's like is I have pivotal moments, like core memories. It's kind of like the experience. You know how the the movie that's called, there's a movie and it's, it's a child's movie and it's about the brain and you know how it has the little guys in the brain. Inside Out. Inside Out. Oh, okay. That is, my therapist has directed me to that movie before. She says it's real. 
like inside out they put it into a funny character yeah but there's core memories yeah so i have core memories of them directly being mean to me but the in-between stuff okay is is like how do i explain that like, yeah yeah i can explain some of it and they become more vivid but it's not like they're blurred in my mind it's just i don't know how to explain because it's it was a setup like it was all a so some of them I can explain. Those okay. Are what I call the core memories. Got you. So Got I you. have a question. Was Warren... Juliana's here. Hey! <laughs> so you say that Warren Jeffs was really mean and abusive. Was he physically abusive Ooh. to people? No, psychologically. Only, only psychologically? He would send people to be physically if he wanted to. To you? Oh. Or did you but ever get he that? He doesn't. I he wonder doesn't why. Like... It seems like someone like that would, because where I come from, they are very physically abusive there, like really bad. And it makes it to be like, it's normal. And so most of the parents do it too. Well, with Warren Jess, he doesn't want to get caught. Yeah. So Which he is will smart. Do psychological. Yeah. And then he will, um, he'll have other people do things, but he won't do it like, because he thinks he'll get caught. So he sends little henchmen. Yeah. Basically, he doesn't. He doesn't want blood on his hands. But with me, they did. They kind of what my therapist says is they didn't just harass you. They didn't just, um, they didn't just. Um, follow you or whatever they, they actually tortured you psychologically so with me the physical was more like lack of food lack of lack of tools to be able to do what I was asked to do they'd say you need to sew all day and then I don't have my sewing machine and they won't get it for me they'll bring everybody else's stuff and leave my sewing machine on purpose and, and it was okay. really really bad it was really bad <clears throat> okay I'm so glad to hear your voice <laughs> okay i get that now i mean i just find that odd like just because where i come from like everyone's so mentally and physically abusive you know were you physically abused um no i wasn't but i witnessed a lot like a lot of young children a lot of the young children like um you would hear in church mothers taking their kids to the site and like slapping them or spanking them and it wasn't just like, you know, a soft pat on the bum. It was like, you know, the death cry of a kid. Like, mm -hmm. you would, you all of a sudden you'd hear like someone slapping their kid, and their kid would just like scream bloody murder. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Were either of you two sexually abused or harassed at any point? There was a time when I was about eight years old. Like, and I talk about that in my book too about my. My brother uh, got too close to me. He didn't show me himself, but he, he got too close to me. And I was, kind of, it was another one of those things where he had already got in trouble with somebody else. And then I was just like the backup plan. Because after he was talked to, and he was only 12, but then he didn't want to carry that weight that he had, so he was just trying to put it on to me. Um, it was sad, but... Yeah, sorry about that. Hmm. Is there a lot of um, sexual abuse there besides, like, 
obviously there is because of the marriages that Mm -hmm. are underage and yeah there's a lot of that like the kids because of this warren just telling them where to live and Mm -hmm. sending away good parents the houses a lot of times are crowded there is ritualistic rape yeah which warren just strategically sets up well can you explain that ritualistic rape is where um they have the 15 seed bearers yeah is that the one um in the temple they have the yeah the temple stuff um I don't even know what to call it. That little table thing. And they say it's the altar. I never went in the temple, but I've heard testimonials and they've been in court and some of them are still processing. Some of them have been proven like, yeah. Cause I mean, can you explain to me and the rest of the people who Um, don't, who aren't very um, centered in this and focused on this? So when they stop the marriages in the elite groups, they have, 15 guys that are supposed to father the children for the whole community. Okay, before... <laughs> That's ritualistics, yeah. Okay, I want to talk about that because I'm having a hard time with something. So, uh, we have a friend who... It wasn't part of the United Order. Is that what you would call it? Yeah. So, the United Order are the elite group where... Is it true that the United Order are the only ones that were able to go into Sundays, Sunday church and stuff like that? I believe so. Yeah. So, um, she doesn't believe, she has been told if you're, so if you're not a United Order member, you are told that there's no more kids being born, correct? Right. But that's false. Well, only the elite (laughs) people are allowed to, but yeah, so they, they told, they're told that they, they, if they're not UO and they're not part of the church, they're supposed to just pray until someday maybe they'll qualify. And... So basically, they're told that there is nothing happening because they don't want to use them. They want the most pure blood. They don't want rebellious children. So yeah, they're told that they will. That so that's there's not happening. There's 15, air quote, chosen men. Yeah. That are just there to, <laughs> to have sex, have babies, and move on. Who do they have sex with? With elite girls like the girls let's talk about that though because you were telling me it can be sad for those girls yeah the girls they get tied down they don't always know what they're going into what do you mean tied down like when they're gonna have sex yeah they literally tie it down that's not okay it's it's totally rape that's why i call it absolutely um the the the, the, but the thing about the unual members is not in every family, but because they're being set up by Warren Jess, like, so there's still rape a lot of times in those families because it's not ritualistic rape, but it's children getting to children because there's not enough adults because a lot of good parents get sent away. Right. And so that happens too much in because uh, some of the parents that are there have struggled you know, and their houses are full of kids. They don't have enough to go around. But yet, good parents are just sent on repentance missions yeah. to send money back. And it's just crazy insane. So so are you saying that young girls and young boys are making babies? Well, no. They just okay. touch each other. They don't really. Oh. Yeah. But that's not allowed, right? It's not allowed, but they, <laughs> they, they aren't watched good enough. I see. Because there's not enough oh, to go around. Because okay. Jess is telling everybody. Can we clarify one thing? How is Warren Jeff still running the FLDS and he's in prison? <laughs> he, he, um, 
any opportunity he gets with a visit, he will send messages, any calls he gets. Like the prison claims that they have to give him some privileges because they would have to take away all the privileges for all their members or else give all of them something. Right. Or else they have to prove that he has been committing more crimes. And they read everything, but they can't tell everything because he talks in that code. Well, yeah. So let's get into the code because the, every, car's, every call is recorded. There's video calls that have come out in the documentaries and stuff where he's talking to all his wives and he's talking to um, one of his brothers. Um, there was a recorded... But he talks in code so that the government cannot doesn't know what he's saying. Not all the time. Okay. But I think in some, like, I was saying that he directs everybody where to live. I think you can see that. In oh, writing. okay. You okay. can see enough to do something. So, um, how, in your guesstimation, how many wives does Warren have? 79, and it's not an estimate. It's actually from... Doc, uh, it's actually from... Somebody that was in the Texas raid that has actual documentation of it. Oh, so the number for sure is 79. Yes. People have said in the 90s. I've heard Okay. I've heard 78. I've heard all these different okay. records, but I actually talked to somebody who okay. has the records right now. And there's 79. 79. And that's where I got my number from 65. You didn't know until after. I used to say it was maybe 67 or something. And oh, okay. They told me you're actually 65. Oh, my goodness. Who was his first wife? His first wife is um, Annette. Oh, Annette yeah. Barna, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any last words, you activist, you? <laughs> I got a couple more questions. Oh, hurry. <laughs> um, so how do you, um, like you said that your goal is like trying to, like, are you trying to educate people on religious childhood exploitation? And yes. how do you do that? I do the podcast. I, I, do, I go around and do speeches. I, um, I'm reaching to engage people. Like the call to action is basically to, well, I need to talk about the bridge and I also have to talk about like the laws we're trying to change okay. for the kids. So it's like funneling it down to a call to action that is, if you don't even agree with me, like find one of these activists mm -hmm. that you, the bridge of activists is, you can find it on, like, I have a Facebook page and, you know, there's right. different things right. where mm -hmm. you can find some of these activists. And once you try to find, even if you talk to me or if you talk to any one of these, you can donate, you can send resources. Because rescuing these kids is a big thing. And so mm -hmm. you have to have the whole bridge of activists because they all do different things and I can't do all of them. Yeah. And so if you send resources, when we actually save the kids, they're going to probably start out with a really loving approach and probably when they figure out what's going on, what the laws are, what's different out here, how much they've actually gone through, then they a lot of times cross over the bridge to the activists that are actively doing things. Okay. okay. Um, so you said you were 26 when you got married? No. What are you talking about? Wait. 18. Uh, I was 26 when I escaped. Well, when was your first attempt to escape? Do you remember how old you were? Or, or was there only one attempt? Or was there... The first attempt was when I was 23. Okay. I tried like 10 major times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, to be honest, that's a common thing that I've heard. 
It, it, it takes more than one time, if, especially if you're locked down in the compound or in behind the huge walls. Right? Yeah, that would yeah. not be fun. So I, we're trying to get like a law, something to the effect of being able to check on them regularly because not all of them are in a bad situation. Right. A lot of them are, and we want to be able to check on them, at least go in there because they are obviously have something to hide. Warren Jeffs is a criminal, and he is telling them where to live. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share, you before we were aired, um, can you share what you were telling me to tell my one friend who's still in FLDS? What, would you, what kind of advice would you give? To tell somebody that's um, communicating but not on, you know, just barely beginning. I, I don't know. I would probably start with follow your heart. Like, what did your heart want? Like, look for your goals. Look for your dreams. When they start to think about that, they can find some common ground, you know, like things that you do and what you like and what, you know, and then after they branch out into their dreams and you say, what would you need oh, okay. yeah. to be able to, to get those dreams? Right. Like, if we were to give you your ideal situation what would you need and you know and then help them cross the bridge okay with okay. with each step yeah is it is it helpful to have somebody on the outside to help you um i feel like sometimes it might be scary to have a gentile help um it's definitely better than not having any tools there you go i would say um if i didn't have activists i would not have succeeded uh-huh. yeah okay so I, I know some people are stronger than me and have more experience and like especially boys sometimes they've been out in the world working and they can figure it out but there's just benefits to having people that understand in your life wherever you are really you you still need a job you still need a resume you still need things even if you do it on your own right even if you know how to do it it doesn't hurt to have a friend right awesome do you have any last last parting words? Um, I want to thank you guys. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you, yeah. So. I know your story's been shared a lot, but I hope that each time it gets shared, it can, it can help somebody. That's kind of our goal for the podcast as well. Yes, I, I am growing constantly. I have a a, a blog called bloggingwithbri.com B-R-I it's, it's growing step by step awesome. so my, my message gets clearer I get more um, details I, I tell it in a way that's more comprehensive try to connect with the audience and what they need mm-hmm. you know I, I'm growing all the time so how do I people reach you on, on Facebook <laughs> Can people reach you on Facebook? Is that okay? Yes. I, I do try to reach, you know, like, if people message me, then I try to accept if there's, if they're clothed and stuff like that. You know, like, <laughs> not some. I'm not just going <laughs> to accept everybody. But <laughs> yes. If, if anybody, I think that you're, you'd be a perfect person to talk to. As an activist, um, talking about bridging the gap, you're not just one side. I think that's kind of important to say is she's not just on one side where she's like, I'm only going to do this, but I'm not going to do this. Or I'm only for this, and I'm against this. You're bridging that gap, and I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. 